So I'd like you to check out the screen behind me. So on the screen, up there, what do I have up on the screen? Wedding. Yes, wedding invitations. Do you like it when you get invited to a wedding? Yeah, okay, I know, I know that is a loaded question. I know that kind of depends on the wedding that you are invited to, but for the most part, in our society and in our culture, kind of a wedding is kind of one of the most exciting events. It's an event that's full of happiness and typically full of joy, and it's often a great celebration to attend. Weddings are amazing. They're full of meaning. They're full, typically full of joy. Last weekend, I was at a wedding, and this wedding, this wedding was really full of joy. During the wedding ceremony itself and at the reception, I kept kind of watching the bride and the groom and they were just, they were just so happy. And the wedding ceremony itself was so meaningful and I didn't even officiate the wedding. <laughs> I'm glad some of you caught that as a joke. The wedding ceremony itself was meaningful. The reception was so joyful. Everybody is happy, dancing around, just celebrating this incredible occasion of these two people coming together to become one. It was an awesome celebration. But it got me thinking about the complexities of a wedding. You know, there is a lot of planning that goes into weddings. You think about things like, where's the ceremony going to be held? The location of the reception? What food are you going to serve at the wedding? What things are going to be happening in the wedding and at the wedding reception? There's so many details that you have to think about when you're planning a wedding. And maybe the most complex issue of all, the guest list. Like, who makes the cut? Who, who do you invite and who do you not invite? And then from the other side, from a different perspective, from the perspective of the one receiving the invitation, how do you decide what wedding you're going to attend? How do you make that determination of when you're going to attend the wedding or when you're not. Now, it could be like when you look at your calendar, you might notice it may be easy because maybe you have a conflict in your calendar and in your schedule. But if you don't have a conflict, the decision of whether to attend can be a difficult one. And I think we ask ourselves a number of questions when we try to think through whether we're going to attend a wedding or not. We think about things like, how well do we know the couple? How well do we know the respective parents? Is it a coworker? Is it supervisor? Is it an employee? And then I think if we're honest, we think about the wedding and kind of the reception itself. We think to ourselves, is this going to be an over-the-top reception? Is it going to be at an incredible venue? We think to ourselves, how lavish is this celebration actually going to be? Might they even serve filet or lobster? Because certainly that's going to influence whether we attend the wedding or not. We think to ourselves, is this a wedding? We ask, is this a wedding that everybody is talking about and everybody wants to attend? Is this a must-experience celebration? Is this an over-the-top opportunity, not only for meaning, but for joy as well? Jesus talks about just such a wedding 
in Matthew chapter 22. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and would you turn to Matthew chapter 22? If you don't have a Bible, you can grab your device, open it up, go to Matthew 22. We also have Bibles that are in the rack in front of you. If you just grab that Bible and you turn to page 803, you will find Matthew chapter 22. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus's parable of the wedding banquet. Now, before we look at the parable, I would like to give you a little context about what is happening at this point in Matthew's gospel. At this point in Matthew's gospel, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, these Jewish religious leaders are challenging Jesus. They're coming against Jesus and they're challenging him. They're essentially coming at him, asking him very questions. You see, Jesus at this point in time, this is the last week of Jesus's life. Just a few days before, he has triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem and in just a few days, he is going to die on the cross. And he has just cleared out the temple courts. He's just kicked out all the money changers. He's turned over these tables. And these religious leaders, these Pharisees and these scribes, they are upset. They don't like Jesus and they don't like what he's doing. So they come to him and they ask him a question. They ask him, by what authority do you do these things? In other words, they're asking him, who do you think you are? Well, Jesus doesn't answer their question directly. He responds by asking them a question about John the Baptist. And then, and then he tells three parables. Three parables that clearly articulate his authority as the Messiah, as the chosen one sent by God. The first parable he tells is the parable of the two sons. Jim addressed that parable last week. The second parable he tells is the parable of the tenants. We are going to look at that parable next week. The third parable he tells is the parable of the wedding banquet. This morning, we are going to look at the parable of the wedding banquet. This parable is one of the most dramatic and powerful parables that Jesus tells. But I also have to share with you, it is not one of the most popular parables that Jesus tells. It's very straightforward. And although it was originally directed to unbelieving Israel and their leadership, It has great meaning and application for us this morning as well. So let's look at it together. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, remember, this is the third parable he's now told. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Here, Jesus begins by speaking of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've talked about this before, but to be clear, he's referring to the rule and reign of God in the world and in a person's life. This is both present and future tense. 
He is talking about the way of God and those people who are fully submitted to God and to his way. And he's also talking about a future in which those people who are fully submitted to God will not only get to experience God in this life, but in the future get to experience God eternally in heaven. And here, he compares the kingdom of heaven to a wedding banquet. It's what we would refer to as a wedding reception. And the parable is pretty straightforward. The king here in the story is God. And God is preparing a wedding banquet for his son Jesus. So this is a picture of the God of the universe preparing a celebration to honor his son. Now can you imagine this reception? The the location has to be spectacular. The food and the drink, outstanding. The company, exceptional. The DJ and the music, over the top. This is a celebration given by, the, by God, the king of the universe. Now please think about this. I do not want you to miss this point. This is the very way that Jesus describes God's invitation to come to him, to become a follower of Jesus. This is not, please hear me, this is not an invitation to a funeral. I know some people act like it is an invitation to a funeral. It's not an invitation to a funeral. This is an invitation to a wedding banquet. This is an invitation to the greatest celebration you could ever imagine, given by the greatest king you could ever imagine, for the highest of honored guests that you could ever imagine. This is a celebration beyond all celebrations, given by God, the king of the universe. Who would not want to go to this celebration? Like, would you want to go to this type of celebration? Okay. There's like 40 of you that want to go to this? <laughs> Come on. I'm s like, God of the universe is inviting you to a wedding banquet celebration. Would you not want to go? Yeah. Yes. Well, let's read on. Verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet, to tell them to come. Look what it says next. But they refused to come. Now, the God of the universe is inviting people to join him in celebration and in honoring his son, Jesus. You understand what's happening here? God is inviting people into the kingdom of heaven. God is inviting people into his very presence. The invited guests in the parable are the people of Israel. They had been invited to the banquet a long, long time before through the prophets that God had sent to them. And they had responded a long time before that they were going to come to the banquet. Well, now things are ready. The Son is there in their midst. Jesus, the Messiah, is with them. 
And he himself is now extending this final call to attend the wedding banquet that the king is throwing. In essence, is he is saying, come now, everything is ready. Come, believe, and follow me. So it is beyond crazy. It is beyond crazy, it is beyond imagination that when the actual call came to the wedding banquet, they were unwilling to attend. Look what it says. They refused to come. Why? Why would you refuse such an invitation? Because they liked things the way they were. They didn't want to make any changes. And deep, deep down in their hearts, please listen, deep, deep down in their hearts, they did not want to submit to the authority of the king. Now those listening to the parable had to be thinking to themselves, what? How can you refuse an invitation to the wedding banquet of the king's son? Is that what you're thinking right now? How could somebody refuse such an invitation? I hope that's what you're thinking. But even crazier than the refusal to attend the wedding banquet is the king's response to their refusal to attend the wedding banquet. Now, historically, how many of you have had a history class in junior high or high school or maybe college? How many of you had a history class? Okay. How many of you watched the History Channel? Okay, good. There's a lot of us that are pretty familiar with history. And if you're familiar with history, you realize that there are very, very few kings who are patient and gracious. Especially in light of such an open rejection and refusal. But this king is very different than other kings. Look at his response, verse four. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Now this is amazing to me. The king, the king, God does not just dismiss them. He sends out another invitation. He sends out another invitation, a more personal invitation because that is just how loving, patient, and gracious this king is. He just keeps coming after them. And look what he does. He even gives them a glimpse of how special this banquet is going to be. He's going to cut up and butcher oxen and fatted cattle. That's like they're going to have filet and lobster. He's telling them again, this is going to be an incredible celebration. The best wedding banquet ever. He keeps going after them. Do any of you feel like that this morning? That God just keeps coming after you? He just keeps pursuing you? 
You may want, not want him to pursue you, but he just keeps pursuing you. He just keeps demonstrating his love, his patience, and his grace. I know that's true this morning because I know there are some of you that God is pursuing and he's not gonna give up. But look what happens in verses five and six. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. This is so sad. Do you realize the level of pride, selfishness, and self-focus that would be required to ignore this invitation? See, deep down inside, what is also happening is they just keep thinking of themselves as the main event. And think of the level of hate and scorn that is required to seize, mistreat, and kill the servants of the king. It's so sad because these people were saying no to exactly what everyone wants. They were saying no to what they themselves wanted. They were saying no to their deepest desires. They were saying no to what they were made for. They were saying no to what they were looking for in life. They were saying no to joy and happiness. They were saying no to peace and purpose. They were saying no to fellowship and communion. These people are saying no to an abundant life. Jesus is saying to them, in and through this parable and in and through this invitation from the king, Jesus is saying, come, come to me. Trust in me, believe in me, make me your savior and Lord and you will experience the celebration of life now and life eternal. But the people or too prideful, too busy, or too stubborn. They were caught up, it says, in their own works, in their own goals, and some of them even killed the king's servants. They rejected the son, and in doing so, rejected the father. They refused to come to the wedding banquet. So look what happens in verse seven. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. You see, the patience 
in understanding of the king has limits. As the king, this king would have been justified in punishing the offenders when they first refused his invitation, but he didn't do that. He demonstrated patience, he demonstrated kindness, he demonstrated love, and he demonstrated grace by an extending multiple invitations. But after his repeated invitations and their repeated rejection, it says the king, it says the king was enraged, which is a very strong word. He then sent his army to destroy them and burn their city. But the real question is not about those people that were invited thousands of years ago. The real question is for us, to me and to you. See, there is meaning and application for us today. What are you doing with the invitation? What are you doing with the God who keeps coming after you time and time again, demonstrating his love, his patience, and his grace? Are you too caught up in your own plans? Are you too caught up in desires that you think are going to bring you meaning and joy? Are you too caught up in the things of this world? You see, the invitation here is to turn away from your sin and to turn to Jesus. And if you ignore the invitation, you are going to miss what you have always wanted, what you truly desire out of life. And please hear this. And not only are you going to miss the celebration, you will ultimately face destruction. Because you chose to reject the king. Back to the parable. So the king, having dealt with his rebellious citizens, turns his attention back to an empty wedding banquet hall. Look beginning in verse eight. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love this part of the parable. The king has his servants go out and invite all new people to the wedding banquet to experience this incredible wedding celebration. And without hesitation, these new people invited rush into the banquet hall and you have a standing room only experience. 
And it's not just so great because a celebration is always better when the banquet hall is full. What's really amazing about this is the point that Jesus is ultimately making here. And that point is, is that everyone is invited to the banquet. Everyone is invited. You see, the people of old, the people of Israel thought that the banquet was limited to them. They thought the Messiah was just for them. And Jesus comes and he says, no, this is not limited invitation. This is an invitation that I am giving out to everybody. And so Jesus here invites everyone. That's what it means when he says they invited the bad as well as the good. You see, Jesus came for the sinner, and that includes everyone. It includes me, and it includes you, and it includes everyone outside the wall. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is separated from God. But Jesus comes, and he shares this invitation to everyone. It is open to everyone. It is open to those who you would think would receive the invitation because they look like they think they should be there. And it is open to those who don't look like they should be there. That's what he's saying. It's open to the good. It's open to the bad. It's open to people that look like me. It's open to people that don't look like me. It's open to people that act like me. It's open to people that don't act like me. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Everyone is invited. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't even matter how you vote. Jesus is inviting everyone to this celebration. Everyone is invited. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, you are invited, and you are invited right now, today. If you have never received, accepted, you've received, if you have never accepted that invitation, Jesus is making it to you today. And my friend, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. The invitation is on the table. That is amazing grace. Now, if it were me, I would end the parable right here. This is a great place to end. The issue is, is Jesus did not end the parable right here. And the parable does not only include an invitation, it includes a warning. It makes a very unexpected turn. Look at verses 11 and 12. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Now, this is so interesting. Do you see the phrase, the king came to see the guests? In the original language, it's more like the king came to inspect the guests. So as the king comes in, He's not just seeing the guests, he's inspecting the guests and he sees a man who's not wearing proper wedding clothes. The king then asks him, how did you get into this banquet without wearing the proper wedding clothes? Now, the fact that everyone from all different places, from all different backgrounds, from all different ways of life, the good and the bad, the fact that all of them 
are wearing the same wedding clothes and this man stands out for not wearing the same wedding clothes indicates that the king gave everyone wedding clothes, proper wedding clothes to wear when they came into the wedding banquet. But this man chose not to put on the proper wedding clothes. And it says that he was speechless. He chose not to wear the proper wedding clothes. He was given an opportunity to explain himself. But look again, it says he was speechless. He had no excuse for his behavior. At this point, notice he didn't even ask for new clothes. He is deliberately refusing to wear the clothes that were provided for everyone else. You could say here that he wanted the kingdom of heaven. He wanted God's blessings and God's benefits. He wanted God's salvation, but he wanted all of that on his own terms and in his own way. He wouldn't wear the proper wedding clothes. The proper wedding clothes are robes or robe of righteousness. It is a robe that Jesus gives to us upon salvation. And the robe kind of works in two ways. What happens is, is when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, God immediately responds by forgiving you of your sin. God then clothes you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you from heaven, when he looks down at you or he looks down at me, he no longer sees that sin. He no longer sees anything that we've ever done wrong. He now looks at us and sees that we are wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This acknowledges or represents the fact that Jesus is our Savior. But the robe also works in another way. The alt robe also represents the fact that Jesus is Lord, which means when we come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we do not only receive the forgiveness of sins and Jesus as Savior, we also come to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and we live in and through that righteousness, which means now I die to myself and I choose to live my life for Jesus and seek to obey his will in all things. Jesus is not only my savior, Jesus becomes my Lord. Does that make sense? It is the righteousness we wear. It is the garment of righteousness. It is the proper wedding clothes that Jesus is referring to here in this parable. But I think for you and my, me, we often feel really comfortable and excited about the concept or the idea of Jesus as Savior. Who does not like the fact that God through Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sin, has clothed me in the righteousness of Christ, and now when God looks at me, all he sees is purity of Christ on me. We all love that, right? 
but sometimes we struggle with the other aspect of the cloth or clothing of righteousness, and that is Jesus as Lord, because our tendency is to want to live our lives under our own terms and conditions. But the thing is, is when you come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you give up your life as you know it to live the life that Jesus has for you. It is a much better life. And it will give you and provide for you this celebration that we're talking about the kingdom. But it requires you and it requires me to die to self. To take up our cross and follow Jesus. And sometimes this becomes difficult for us to recognize that this is a parable about a king and a king's authority in our lives. And this man, he was speechless. He's speechless because he was trying to live his life under his own terms. Are you trying to live your life under your own terms this morning? Are you proclaiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You, you say, I'm a Christian, but you're not spending God's money the way he wants you to spend his money? Are you engaged in harmful and angry political rhetoric that does not demonstrate a love for people who do not think for you, think like you, a love for your enemy? Are you here this morning and, and you're struggling with issues of sexual intimacy? You're saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. But on the other hand, you are choosing to engage in practices that do not demonstrate that he is the Lord of your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're in high school. Maybe you're 16 and you're 17 years old and you come to church and you worship and you praise. But man, Friday night you got lit. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. And this man was speechless because he was not wearing the proper wedding clothes. He was not clothed in Christ's righteousness. So what happens to him? Verses 13 and 14. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That is really hard. That is really difficult. This is why I said this is not one of Jesus' more popular parables. And this past week as I was studying, I'm thinking to myself, how do I avoid verses 13 and 14? Because <laughs> it sure would be a happier sermon. You see, I think we live, we live liking the idea or thinking about God as a grandfather who's sitting in his rocking chair with the long beard and kind of invites us to sit on his lap and listens to our stories and puts his arm around us and tells us really good stories and acknowledges our things we've done and gives us accolades and then gives us great words of wisdom to live our lives. 
we like, we resonate with the grandfather God. And that is part of who God is. But that is not the story Jesus is telling in this parable. The story in this parable, Jesus compares God to a king. To a king who has all honor, power, and authority. A king who is inviting you and I to the greatest celebration ever. But to, in order to come into the celebration, you have to be wearing the right clothes. And that means that you have to submit to the authority of the king. The picture of God as a grandfather is real and it is true and it is good. But the picture of God as a king is also real, true, and good. Because the grandfather God does not have the power or the authority to throw the wedding celebration. But the king has the power and the authority to throw the greatest wedding celebration ever. And that's the celebration that he is inviting you to. The wedding celebration of all time. I started with some random wedding invitations on the screen. I'd like to close with a very specific wedding invitation this morning. It's a wedding invitation to you. It's the wedding banquet of the dearest son of our honored king. It's an invitation for you to come and experience the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus himself compares to the most extravagant, wonderful wedding celebration ever. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb, proper wedding clothes required. The invitation is for you. This morning. The interesting thing about this invitation is that it is worthless to some and priceless to others. But I guess that's just how wedding invitations work. I pray that it will be priceless for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word even when it is difficult and maybe even difficult for us to understand. Because Lord, we recognize it is true and we recognize that in and through that truth, you demonstrate your love, your patience, and your grace. So Lord, I pray this morning that everyone listening, Lord, would value this invitation as something that is priceless. And Lord, that they would accept the invitation and that they would receive the proper wedding clothes and wear them 
to the celebration of a lifetime. Lord, I pray that we would encourage each other in these truths in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.